following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. How are we doing, church? Well, our senior pastor, Rex Johnson, is not here today. And uh, I am fairly confident he's on his way back to Austin, uh, and he is probably driving, and his wife has probably got us on Facebook Live right now. So hello, Pastor, if you're watching. Thank you for letting me uh, be here. Yeah, let's all give him a big, big love you. Absolutely. I know he's watching. He wishes he could be here. He's probably speeding to get back here, to maybe hug you on the back end. We're in the middle of this series called Joy, and our theme verse for this series has been Philippians 4.4, 4, which says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. In fact, let's all say it again. Rejoice. From the top of the building to the front row, one more time. Rejoice. It's kind of fun when you say it. You kind of smile. You kind of can't help from smile. Rejoice. It just, it kind of creates this curve on your face. Joy or rejoicing are mentioned 16 times in this little four-chapter book called Philippians, which wouldn't be that big of a deal if Paul weren't sitting in a jail cell while he's pinning these words. Like, that's pretty crazy. He's in the worst possible situation, but he has the best possible attitude. How do you have joy in jail? Yeah. Have you ever met somebody like that, that just, like they've got stage four cancer, can't stop smiling? They lost their joy, still got, uh, lost their job, still got joy. Like, don't you just want to punch somebody like that in the throat? <laughs> like, Why are you smiling, man? You should be mad. I, I don't, they, and that's the heart of this series is, is we've got to find a way to find joy. And a lot of you are already joyful. You've chosen joy. This is not for you. But for the rest of us who might have an a, Apostle Paul-sized problem on our hands, how do we find genuine joy instead of displaying despair on our faces? Like, how do you do that? I think that's the heart of this series. Pastor Brad mentioned this in week one. In fact, Pastor Rex mentioned this on Wednesday night. This is a great verse. You've heard it a lot lately. John 16, And Jesus says this to his disciples. At the end of that verse, he says, in this world, you'll have trouble. Which I'm not a fan of that. That's <laughs> in the Bible. You're going to have difficult days. But take heart. Translation. Don't freak out. It's going to be okay. I have overcome the world. Take heart. Now, now the word there in the Greek is, is one word, but it's translated as a phrase when you translate it into English, and it's the word tharseo, tharseo, which means be of good cheer or be of good comfort. And Jesus says this many, many times in Scripture, and this is the last time he says it, by the way, and this is the day before, the day before he goes and gets arrested, Right? So he says, yeah, in, in the next couple of days, they're going to arrest me. They're going to drag me off. They're going to beat me within an inch of my life. That might have been easier just to kill me at that moment, but they didn't kill me. They forced me to carry a cross uphill about a mile to Golgotha, and then they drove spikes, not nails, spikes through my hands and my feet, and I hung there, roasting in the sun on the most painful, excruciating instrument of torture. But Tharseo, that's tomorrow. Be of good cheer today. Be of good comfort. That's a difficult halftime speech when you look at the scoreboard and you're down that much. I looked up all the times that Jesus said, Tharseo, be of good cheer, be of good comfort. Do you know he never said it on a sunny day? He never said it in a happy moment because cheerful people don't need to hear, cheer up, right? He said it during very difficult times. 
Jesus looked at a man one time who was lying on a mat paralyzed. He can't move. And Jesus looks at him in Matthew 9, 2, and he says, Tharseo, be of good cheer. Now, that might have made sense after he healed the man, which he eventually did. He got up and he walked away. But he didn't say it after he healed him. He said it while he's still lying on the mat paralyzed. He says, Tharseo, be of good cheer. Be of good comfort. Have some joy, man. Which is crazy. And this is why, potentially, is Jesus doesn't want our good cheer. Jesus doesn't want our good comfort to be in our situational improvement. He doesn't want your good cheer to be tethered to what he did for you, but rather who he is in your life. Let me say that again. He does not want your joy, your good comfort, your good cheer to be tethered to what he did for you. And you had a situational improvement, and that's where you find joy. He goes, that's not where we find joy. I want you to have joy in who I am in your life. And that's really Paul's message too, yeah, to the church in Philippi. So if you have your Bible, turn to Philippians 3. If you don't, it'll be on the screen behind me. We're going to read pretty much the whole thing, and and not so much verse by verse, but really thematically uh, throughout the chapter. To set this up, Philippi is part of the Roman Empire, and something pretty significant happened there. In 42 BC, there was a civil war, and as a result of the civil war, the Roman emperor declared that anybody who lived in Philippi could become a Roman citizen. You say, what's the big deal with that? There's 70 million people that make up the Roman Empire, but only 9% could actually be Roman citizens. And so a lot of these Philippians found their identity, found their joy in their citizenship of Rome. On top of that, when, when you have this religious group there that's now forming called the Way, or Christ followers, and then there's another religious group called Judaizers who are in that city as well. And they believe that you need to Be identified by the good works that you do. And not just the good works, but the way you treat your body and how you dress, those kinds of things. So two major issues that Paul is having to address when he writes this letter, he's saying that you got this issue with your citizenship of Rome, and you got this issue of of trying to do good things to get good with God, and and Paul has to address those things as he writes this letter. So let's start in verse 4. In the middle of verse 4 of chapter 3, it says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh... Like, if any of you think that you're, you have reasons to be confident in who you are, I, I have more. Which sounds incredibly arrogant. But then he goes on. Look at verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So let me put that into modern day vernacular. He goes, you want to talk about family? I was born to the right parents. They've got a lot of connections. You want to talk about education? Ivy League with honors. You want to talk about (laughs) religion? I've memorized more Bible than you've forgotten. I've never missed a day of Sunday school. You want to talk about power? I have authority over my enemies. I can persecute them. You want to talk about respect? Older guys call me and ask for advice. You want to talk about money, stuff, status? I win. I'm Paul. I've got it all. But then, listen to the very next thing he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, Paul says, that I may gain Christ. So Paul says you're you're putting your joy in the wrong things. 
The Apostle Paul does not find joy in his accomplishments nor in his resume. He's saying, I I know I'm better than you. Using any measuring tool that you could come up with, but I'm not going to put my joy in those things. I'm going to put joy in what Christ has done on my behalf. That's where I find my joy. And he makes a really big effort to explain this. So you would not find joy in what you have done, but on what was done on your behalf. This is so important. I think this is one of the hardest lessons, honestly, for Christians to grasp outside of the incomprehensible grace of God. Is that we don't put our our joy and and our value in what we have done, but in what Christ has done for us. Listen to me. The money you make does not bring you joy. The job you have does not bring you joy. Thus, when you lose your job, you don't lose your joy. The girl you're dating does not bring you joy. She dumps you, it's okay, bub. That's not where you get your joy. What you look like does not bring you joy. Where your family is does not bring you joy. How many followers you have on Instagram or Facebook does not bring you joy. Those aren't bad things. They're just not the source of joy. And Paul would say, it's garbage. Those things are garbage. Like That's not where I find my joy. And he actually uses a much more vulgar term there. He he says it's it's crap. If you look at the Greek, it's dung. That's what he says. That's dung. Like those things don't matter at all. All those things, my education, my power, my respect, my family, that's dung. When I look at the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, that's it. That's what I'm excited about. Let me explain this in, 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 in... it's, it's kind of philosophical, and I don't want to get too caught up in a loop early on in the message, but the best answer is, where do I find my joy, is where will I find my joy eternally? Let me, let me say that again. The best answer to where do I find my joy right now is where will I find my joy permanently? Pastor Rex, the reason he's not here, he's at his 50-year class reunion, and uh, <laughs> I, I texted my Aunt Patty, and I said, well, how's it going? And she said, well, everybody's old. That's what she said. <laughs> you know we have a pastor who's 68 who's got the energy of someone who's 28. And he runs circles around me most days. We love that about Pastor Rex. But um, can you imagine walking in? And I don't know who was the prom queen of the Leveland Lobos in 1968. But can you imagine her walking into the 50-year class reunion with a tiara on her head saying, look at me, boys. I'm back. 50 years later and still fabulous, right? Like that, she wouldn't do that. If she did that, you'd feel sorry for her. You'd go, wow, you're living in the past, right? Even though one day in the past that was really, really important to her and it brought a smile to her face, that's not what gives her joy. Paul says, you don't find your joy in your past accomplishments. You don't even find your joy in your present accomplishments. You find your joy in the accomplishment of Christ. Look at verse 8. Let's finish that out. I consider them garbage, he says. I consider it dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So he's saying it's not my righteousness. I don't earn that righteousness. It's not anything I did to get righteousness. It's all about what Christ has done. He's the one that gives me righteousness, which is a big church word for right standing with God. I'm good with God, not because of anything that Paul did, not because of Paul's resume, not because of Paul's accomplishments, but because of what Christ did on the cross. Verse 10. Oh, this is so good. I want to know Christ. Yes, To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, 
and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I hope you caught that. This is true for you too. He's saying the greatest thing about me, when you look at Paul, the greatest thing about me, the greatest thing about me is something somebody else did for me on my behalf. Like if you boiled me down, you said, what's the greatest thing about Paul? It's nothing Paul did. It's about what Christ did for Paul. That's the greatest thing about me. That's awesome. When you start thinking about what's the greatest accomplishment you could ever, ever accomplish on this earth? What's the greatest thing, the greatest reward, the greatest trophy, the greatest crown? What is it? Let's start with eternal life. <laughs> Living forever. How about going into the grave and coming out of the same grave and walking around? Paul's like, why would I put any hope and any joy in anything I've done when I'm standing next to that? Why would I say, uh, yeah, I've never missed a day of Sunday school, and I'm standing next to perfection, right? So Paul says, that, that's, that's what I'm trying to get to. He's done so much for me. Here, here's what you got to know. If you're taking notes, jot this down. You find joy in Christ's accomplishment, not in your accomplishments. It's not in anything that you've done, but in what he has done on your behalf. Now, there's something else key happening in this text. Look at the next few verses, verse 12. This is kind of a, this is a little digress from the joy for just a second. You've got to catch this, though. Now, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he says, I'm not looking at what happened in the past. I'm not focused on what happened yesterday. I'm moving forward toward a more prosperous future. Paul had done some awful things. We, we kind of forget that because we just kind of, we think about Paul as being this incredible disciple and he maybe was the best. But he did some awful things in his past, way worse than anything you and I have done. And he goes, I could have used those things and, and could have disqualified myself. I could have said, hey, remember when they stoned Stephen? I was there. I took joy in his death. And then I locked up Christian men and women and I persecuted them. I'm a murderer. Woe is me. I am unqualified to serve Jesus. He goes, I'm not, doing, I'm not looking at what's behind me. I'm only looking at what's in front of me. He doesn't disqualify himself by his past nor by his past abuse. He doesn't say, hey, remember when I was in Antioch and they beat me? Remember those men that I thought were my friends and they whipped me with rods and stoned me, tried to stone me? <laughs> I can't do ministry. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm forgetting what's behind me and I'm pressing on towards what's ahead of me, towards this beautiful prize that Christ has for me. I've asked people, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And I've actually had people say, I don't know. And I said, what do you mean you don't know? And they said, well, I've just done some bad things. And they think that that's a very humble response. I've done some bad things. It's not humble. That's actually extremely arrogant. Because if you say I've done some bad things, then you're assuming or you're, you're saying that there's something that I could do that could keep me from heaven, which you're also saying that there's something I could do to get me to heaven. There's nothing that I can do that I can get to heaven. Likewise, there's nothing I can do to keep me from heaven. The only way I get to heaven is what I believed about Jesus while I was on this earth. Because he said, I, I'm going to die for your sins. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is by grace 
God's incomprehensible, massive grace. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, putting your faith in Jesus, putting your hope in Jesus, putting your trust in Jesus. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, Paul. This is not of yourselves, Christian Life Austin. This is the free gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. You can't get to God and say, hey, I, I earned this. No, we can't. It's not by works. It's only by faith in what Christ did for you. On We boast in his accomplishment. We find joy in his accomplishment, not in our own. You're not good enough to get to heaven, and you're not bad enough to be kept from heaven. It's not about our good or bad works. It's about what Christ did on the cross for you. And the cross for me, it doesn't belittle my sin. It only magnifies his grace. When I look at the cross, I see, I'll be 38 later this week, I see 38 years of sin washed away. That's the beauty of the cross. When I was 16 years old, I was dating an older woman. She was 17. And, uh, oh yeah, I had it. And, uh, and I wanted to take her to lunch. And uh, I didn't have my own set of wheels, and so I had to borrow Mama's car. And Mama drove a Bonneville, and nothing says stud muffin quite like driving a Bonneville. There is not a more grandmother car on this planet than a Bonneville. But I'm driving my Bonneville, and, uh, and she's with me, and we get to a stop sign, and it's a four-way stop in Snyder where we grew up. And we get there, and I look to the left, I look to the right, I look in front of me, there's no car, so I proceed through the intersection. About that time, a police car where I don't know where he came from, but he got behind me. And so you're just kind of panicky, right? <laughs> He's like, okay, I'm speeding. I'm not speeding. I got my seatbelt on, right? I'm like, you're checking everything out, making sure you're good. My heart's racing. And so he follows me for about a quarter of a mile, half a mile. And, and we pull on to College Avenue, which is the main thoroughfare there in Snyder. And so I pull on and that's, and he pulls me over. I'm like, are you kidding me? So he, he gets out of the car. And, uh, and he comes up to the car and he says, Mr. Johnson, can I see your license, registration, and insurance? So I give him all that. And I'm really confused still why he pulled me over. And uh, he, I said, is that something wrong, officer? And he said, well, you, you ran that stop sign, which I didn't. You know, I, I looked at the left, looked at the right, looked in front of me. I said, there were no cars coming, so I proceeded through the intersection. He says, no, 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 Mr. Johnson, when you come to a stop, you should feel a jerk on your car. You should actually feel a jerk to know that you stopped appropriately. And I said, well, you're a jerk. And I didn't say that, but I thought that. <laughs> I thought it. <laughs> so he said, just a moment. He went back to his car, came back, wrote me a ticket. Wrote me a ticket. And uh, so now I'm like, I'm, the, whole, the whole day was just shot. And I'm just like, ah. So I get back to school. And I don't really, I got to tell my mom this now. I got a ticket. And I hadn't had my license very long. And so I'm asking some of my friends, and they're like, oh, oh. I said, I said, what do you do? You just pay it? Yeah, yeah, that's not the bad part. The bad part is it goes on your record. What? <laughs> record? What do you mean record? Yeah, you have a driving record, and that'll go on your record. I don't know why that scared the fire out of me. <laughs> I just imagine myself with like 25 applying for a job. Mr. Johnson, we were going to choose you, but we saw here you st- ran a stop sign nine years ago, so we went with Bob. Like, I was so worried that <laughs> Bob would get the job and not me because of my record. So then I found out that if you go before the judge, and I think they've changed it now, but uh, if you go before the judge, at least in Snyder, you, you, you could ask for a request defensive driving, and they would take it off your record. So I put on like a four-piece suit and uh, <laughs> trying to whip up some tears. I'm like, I really was wanting this to get off my record. So I told the judge, I'm so, so I'm sorry. <laughs> and he said, you can take defensive driving. So I took defensive driving, got the certificate back, 
And I physically presented it, like handed it to them. And I said, it's off my record now, right? And they said, yes. I said, so it's, it's not going to be on the record? And they said, no, it's not on the record. Okay, so my record's clean now? I'm like, yes, Mr. Johnson, it's clean. It felt so good getting that off my record. Now, it's not like that that didn't happen. I still ran the stop sign. It's just not on my record. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not that you didn't do the sin. It's not that you didn't think that or do that or say that. It's just not on your record. So all that stuff, it doesn't follow you anymore. If you got wasted, not in your record. You looked at pornography, not in your record. You were dishonest, not in your record. When I get to heaven, St. Pete's not going to go, hey, Reed, uh, that stop sign. No, it's not on my record. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's the gospel. All right, verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And Pastor said this so well last week, but this series is more about maturity than joy. He says, you should, if you're mature, you should take such a view of things. It's like if I asked a high school student, hey, did you make the team? No. No, but it's good, though. I'm okay. I, like, I still have joy. Because 10 years from now, it's not going to matter. If we ask that high school student, you'd go, wow, that is such a mature response. Right? They're not going to lose their joy over something that doesn't matter 10 years from now. There are things happening in your life right now. And you're going, oh, and just devastating you. But 100 million years from now, it's not going to matter. Don't let that thing steal your joy. You can either go, it's okay. God's still on his throne. I'm all right. Or you can let that completely de devastate you. It says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. So we're not focused on punishment from our past sins because Christ has already forgiven those. A God who stands outside of time sees you in your eternal state, sinless. Think about that. That's how God sees you. He doesn't see your sin yesterday, today, or tomorrow. He says, I see you sinless. If God can see us that way, then why can't we see ourselves that way? God, then I, I stand before you righteous. Think about it this way. If, I, if I'm running a race, and Paul talked about that earlier. If I'm running a race and I've been promised a prize... Like, Reed, if you, just, if you just get to the finish line, you just cross the finish line, you get a prize. And I'm running the race, and then I fall down. I'm going to get back up, right? Because it doesn't matter if I'm first or last. I just got to cross the finish line, and I get the prize. It's the same idea there is, is, is in Christianity, we're going to stumble. In fact, Proverbs 24, 16 says, Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked continue to stumble when calamity strikes. You're going to fall, and you just get up, and you're going to fall, and you're going to get up, and you're going to sin, and you're going to get up because you say, you know what? I've got a prize. If I can just finish the race, I'm going to keep going. I'm not looking at what's behind me. I'm only looking at what's ahead of me. I'm going to keep getting up, and I'm going to finish this race. Look at verse 17. Join together in following my example, Paul says. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, Paul says, I'm in Rome, I'm writing to this church that I helped plant in Philippi, but I'm writing this and I'm getting weepy just thinking about this. I'm getting teary-eyed. In fact, I'm getting so teary-eyed, I'm writing down, I'm getting teary-eyed. Like this, is, this really bothers Paul. He says, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
There's people who are enemies of the cross of Christ, and their destiny, he says, is destruction. In other words, these people who are enemies of the cross of Christ, their destination is hell. That's what he's saying. I was blunt. That's what he's saying. He said that their God is their stomach. In other words, they just feed whatever their appetite wants. They live in a hedonistic culture. If it feels good, then just do it. He says their God is their stomach, and their glory, he says, is in their shame. What does that mean? It's that we're joyous. We're not just sinning. We're joyous in our sin. Hey, guess who I hooked up with this weekend? Hey, check out this video. (laughs) It's pretty good, isn't it? That we'd be joyous in our sin. And then he finishes it saying, their mind, these people whose destiny is hell, is set on earthly things. He says their mind is so focused on this earth and not on the world to come. And I just want to say this, and I, I don't want this, this may sound harsh, and that's not my intention, but some of us, are, our glory is in our shame. And we take joy in things that Christ died for. And we're celebrating how many partners that we've had, or the fight that we got in, or how we were able to take advantage of someone else's misfortune. And our glory is in our shame. And and we're celebrating the things that Christ died for, the very things that put Christ on a cross. We're reveling in. Oh, I just love dancing to this song. Well, have you listened to the lyrics? It's talking about sex trafficking. Oh, but that beat. Our glory is in our shame. And some of us, we we just need to have a come to Jesus moment where we say, take my life, Lord. I don't want my destiny to be destruction. I don't want to to feed whatever my appetite would. I, I, I don't... I don't want my glory to be in my shame. I want my glory to be in you. I want to give my life to you. I want to surrender my life to you. I don't want to continue going back to that old guy who I know is not good for me like a dog returning to its vomit. I don't want to go to the same relationships. I don't want to go to the same partying scene. I want to go to you. I want to turn my life over to you. I want to give my life to you because you're the one that I find true joy in. Verse 20. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, church. Now remember, these people thought their citizenship, they found joy in their citizenship being in Rome. And he goes, our citizenship's not in Rome, it's in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And that's how it ends. We get a new body. These old bodies go away, and we get a new one. I'm hoping for one with a six-pack. Amen. (laughs) Of Dr. Pepper, in Jesus' name. What happens then in this moment, right, the end of it all, we get a glorious What happens then? What brings us joy then? That's what should bring us joy now. Is it the job you had or the girl you dated? No. Here's the last point. You find joy in your eternal destination, not your earthly desires. That's where you find your joy. I know where I'm going. I've got my joy there, not on things of this earth. So I've shared my my, my testimony before, and uh, if you've heard it, I apologize. You'll hear it again today. But it it just exemplifies and personifies joy better than any story I could tell. When uh, I was younger, my family moved to Snyder, Texas. My dad was hired as president of a local bank branch there, and we were making good money as a family. He was the primary breadwinner. Um, But we made good money, and as a result, we lived kind of luxuriously. We lived lavishly. 
And then in uh, 89, 1989, when banks started to struggle, they fired all of the presidents of that particular bank branch. And uh, my dad lost his job and thus lost our only source of income. My mother went back to teaching school. Um, but we, we, we had such a high um, mortgage note. Just, we had lots of bills now. And we just started accumulating a lot of debt like hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt over the next nine months. And my dad ended up opening up a fast food restaurant, a, a taco joint, and, and uh, it was successful, but pretty tough to make a dent in that debt when you have accumulated this much uh, of a debt. And so fast forward to 1992, my dad in October 28th that year took me to school, and then um, he drove out to the golf course where he did a lot of life to a place where he knew he'd be found, but not by his family, and he, and he shot himself. Um. <laughs> That's 26 years ago. It just takes me back to that place. Um, I remember being very, very mad at God. We were a Christian family, and I remember just yelling at the sky. Why? Like I, I, I'd known enough about the Bible to know that um, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the grave and Jairus' daughter from the grave. So I was asking, why can't you do that with dad? And I wasn't getting any response, like silence. And my mom continued to take me to church. I didn't really want to go to church, but I didn't have much of a choice at 12. And uh, so five months later, five, six months later, I, there was a big conference, a big youth conference. And... Um, in Lubbock, where Pastor was this weekend. And I didn't go for God. I probably went for girls, to be honest with you. And there was a speaker who got to speak that night. He was like the keynote speaker. And for whatever reason, I got to go backstage and meet this man. His name's Dawson McAllister. Some of you have heard his radio program before. And I don't remember why or how I got to meet Dawson. I really don't. That was a long time ago. But for some reason, I got to be back there. And so there's me and about four other people. And Dawson's back was really hurting that day. And so he was kind of leaning up against a wall like this. And I'd been screaming at God and screaming at God and screaming at God and getting no response. And so here was a figurehead of God. Somebody represented God to me, and I thought, I'm just going to let this guy have it. I just dumped on this poor dude. <laughs> I hope none of you do that to me later, okay? Like, like that, I got to think back. I'm like, that was so rude. But I was just, I was so tired of that non-response. I thought maybe he'll have something to say. And so I just launched all this. If God is love, then how could he allow this to happen? Just as, as angry as a sixth grader could be. And Dawson just sat there. And he listened. He was quick to listen. He was slow to speak. And then he said, Reed, I want to show you a verse in the Bible. And he actually took out his Bible. It was a very, very small Bible that he had in his pocket. And he turned over to James 1-2 which says, consider it pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. What? That made me more mad. Consider that pure joy? Are you kidding me? You're telling me to take my dad's death and consider that pure joy? Are you crazy? And then he turned back one physical page in his Bible, one physical page. In the Bible, to Hebrews 12, 2, which says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy 
Same word. Said before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he said, read, if Jesus can have joy going to the cross. And I never fully understood what that meant. It was years later, I was in college, and I went over to the theater right over here on uh, 35 and Stastny, the, the theater, and I watched The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> I remember watching the movie, and I was in the front row. I was so excited to see this movie come out. And there was a guy next to me, and he had the biggest tub of popcorn and an icy. And I'm like, that's so blasphemous, man. It's Jesus on the cross. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm sorry. This made me laugh. He's like, <laughs> go to another movie. <laughs> Jesus is getting beaten. He's chomping. But I saw that movie. And I didn't have joy watching it, let alone going through it. And Jesus had joy enduring the cross. And I started thinking to myself, how could Jesus have joy going to the cross? Maybe, maybe he saw a 12-year-old boy in Lubbock, Texas surrender his life to God again. Maybe he saw a 38-year-old man in Austin, Texas preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe he saw one of you for the first time today surrendering your life to him, maybe. Romans 8, 28 says, in all things, not some things, most things, good things or bad things, but in all things, even that thing, God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And maybe Jesus said, I see the good things. This is the worst thing. This is the worst thing. There's not a, there's not a worse thing than this thing, but I see that in all things, even this thing, I'm working for the good and I'm using this. To, to, as leverage to turn about the greatest comeback that's ever hit, happened in the history of humanity. And Reed, I see it in your thing. Like, I, you go, what, what, what good has come out of your dad's death? Listen, I would give anything to have my dad back. And when I get to heaven, and I believe he's there because he loved Jesus. I'm going to hug him and I'm going to slug him. Because he, he missed a lot of great moments in my life. But I, I get it. I have said on record that I think my dad died not for my sisters and not for my mother. My dad died so that I might do what I'm supposed to be doing today. That sounds weird, but I think if my dad were still alive, I'd be selling tacos. And there's nothing wrong with tacos. If you own a taco place, we need to be better friends. I like at the tacos, okay? There's not, but I, I would have missed preaching the gospel. I would have missed seeing people come to faith. I would have missed all those counseling sessions where couples found restoration in their marriage. I would have missed seeing people come out of addiction and being able to be a conduit through which God's power flowed. I would have missed all that. So I consider it pure joy because I see that God is painting on a canvas bigger than we can see. And I go, God, I'm going to consider it pure, pure joy when I face trials, when I face troubles. In this world, we'll have trouble, and I can take heart. I can be of good cheer. I can, Tharseo, because you've overcome the world, and you're going to use this for your redemptive glory. I want to close with this. We started this whole thing, Philippians 3, verse 4. I want to go back to verse 1, though. This is so good. Verse 1, this is how the whole thing starts. You ready? Whatever happens. Whatever. Whatever happens, brothers and sisters, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Like whatever happens, you just, you just rejoice in the Lord. And I love what he, I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it, the reason I'm doing this is I'm trying to safeguard your faith. I'm trying to protect your faith. Your faith, I'm trying to protect it. 
Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, for the testing of your faith develops perseverance. I'm trying to give you this perseverance in your faith. Listen, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. You find your joy in Him and Him alone. And that way, when the circumstances around us get ugly, we don't lose our joy because our joy is not in our circumstances. Our joy is in Christ. Christian joy is the great pleasure and happiness that we feel, whether or not the sun is shining, whether or not a team is winning, whether or not we're healthy or hurting, because our Redeemer lives and we belong to Him and He's making all things new. And when we encounter, listen, when we encounter trials and tribulations, or as Jesus calls it, trouble, we tend to complain and we lose sight of our all sufficient Savior. There was another group in Exodus who did the same thing. As soon as as he helped the Israelites exile out of Egypt, they started complaining, well, why don't we have meat to eat and leeks and onions and melons? And he's like, I'm raining down manna from heaven every morning. And all they did was complain because their joy wasn't in, their joy was in meat, not in their Messiah. Philippians calls us to rejoice in the Lord always by reframing our present challenges in light of the awesome day of Christ. And I firmly believe, listen to this, I firmly believe that joy is not an emotion we feel, but it's a state of being we choose. So choose joy. Choose it. Choose it. Why don't we stand all over the room? All over the room. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what baggage you walked in with. We got people watching online right now. And I have a feeling there's some people that are watching online that have their joy in their accomplishments. They have their joy in their earthly desires and not in their eternal destination, not in Christ's accomplishment for you. Maybe today's the day that for the very first time you put your hope, you put your faith, you put your trust in a relationship with Jesus who is the author and the finisher of that faith. Maybe today, I hope you don't leave this place without saying, I want to come to faith. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. That's Romans 10, 9. I want you to find salvation today. And for the rest of us, may we just choose joy. Again, I don't know what you came in with. I don't know what you're carrying. And it really doesn't matter. I know that sounds harsh. That's not my intention. I, it just, it doesn't matter because that's not where you find your hope or your joy. Your joy is in Christ and Christ alone. So I just want you to find your joy in Jesus. And when, when the bottom falls out tomorrow, you come in and you're one of those people, they go, I want to punch him in the face. No, they're going to say, what's different about you? I want to share one last story. Uh, years ago, my grandmother on my mother's side died. She's a staunch follower of Jesus. I had matriarchs and patriarchs on both sides, so I'm, I'm duly blessed. But I've got a lot of cousins, first cousins on that side of the family who do not know God. They would quantify themselves as, they would say, they would say I'm an atheist. They would label themselves as a- atheists. And so knowing that, I preached her funeral, and I just gave the gospel knowing that in her death like it would be worth her death if they would find eternal life like that would be worth it to her too and after it was all over 
one of them, the eldest, came to me. And I thought, this is it. This is the moment. And he said, Reed, I need to talk to you about something. I said, okay, all right. And he goes, how did you stay so composed? How did you have joy up there talking about your grandma? How could you not just break down in tears? Because my joy wasn't in her. My joy is in him. And I'll see her again because of him. I just use this as another opportunity to tell him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, there's, there's something that people will notice in you. When the bottom falls out and you should have a, a frown on your face, they're going to go, how are you able to, well, whatever happens, I just rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this is such a difficult concept. Simple. It's just difficult to execute. In the temporal, things happen. And you even predicted that and promised that. You said, in this world, we will have trouble. There's going to be difficult days. And there's people all over this room and watching online that are going through difficult seasons right now as they hear the sound of my voice. God, as your word says, I just implore them to just choose joy. Choose joy. To not find their joy in their accomplishments, but in your accomplishments. To not find their joy in their earthly desires, but in their eternal destination. To find their joy in you. For the joy set before you, you endured the cross, and now we can consider it pure joy when we face things in our world. God, you're just speaking over this congregation today. Tharseo. Tharseo. It may not be sunny. You may need some good cheer in your life. But Tharseo, I have overcome the world. God, help us live that out. We love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for salvation through that cross. And for anybody in the room who's never given their life to you, I pray today they would not leave here without doing so. We believe that and we receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, thank you so much for being here. God bless you. If you're in your late teens through 30s, come see us tonight at Continuum for our kickoff at 7 o'clock. God bless you. Good night.